Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. You're listening to Season 4 of Dakota Spotlight, Chasing Billy, A Pursuit for Justice, an ongoing investigation into the 1978 homicide of William Wolfe Jr. My name is James Wolner. Coming up in this episode. I am 90% sure of who would be responsible for this crime. Him, I guess he said, can I store some stuff in your garage? Well, my dad didn't realize what he was talking about. And it was a dumpy city place, and I always thought it was kind of odd that he would meet him there. My Uncle Frank was, uh, how could I put this? Because this fellow had, he'd had a group of, what would you call, followers. Following his lead, he had become almost a sociopath or something. I can't put anything out of the question, I guess. Violation of probation on charges of assault with a sharp weapon or intent to kill. If I could sit down and write a letter to Billy Wolf, or a series of letters, I guess it would go something like this. Dear Billy, My name is James, and you don't know me. You never knew me. When you were killed, in August of 78, I was 13 years old. I'd like to tell you that I produce a true crime podcast, and I've been snooping into your life and your death, but... You don't know what a podcast is, what that even means. You died long before podcasts were invented, before everyone got tangled up in the world wide web. I'm starting to believe that you got tangled up in something too, something different, something bad. Anyway, I've been trying to tell a story, your story. I've been trying to figure out who cut your throat, then cut you up, I discarded you like trash in the Red River outside of Fargo. Whoever that person is or was, whoever those people are or were, they have never received any punishment for taking your life, at least not any legal punishment. I suppose we might hope that whoever did kill you, they might have suffered in some way, a haunting, guilty conscience perhaps, or maybe they lived in constant fear, their hearts leaping out of their chest every time the doorbell rang waiting for that day when a homicide detective would wrap his knuckles on their front door. I wish I could tell you that it's been easy stalking you and getting to know you, but it seems that you're a bit of a mystery. 
I'm tempted to say that you must have had secrets, and that's why I'm having a hard time learning about you. But the simple truth, Billy, might be that people just can't remember that much about you anymore. So, Billy, while I'm happy to tell you that you are not forgotten, I'm also sorry to say that you are not very well remembered either, it seems. At least I seem to have failed in finding anyone willing to give us a true glimpse of who you really were, someone close to you who knew you. A few people have been willing to speak to me about you, and while they have done their very best, their memories are fading quickly. All I really know is that you were not a bad kid or a mean kid. I've been told you were shy, you had a big laugh, you were tall. After high school, you moved to an apartment in Fargo, or was it a boarding house? I'm still not quite sure. Sometimes I get discouraged, and I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing, like I'm just stumbling along somehow, all alone. I'm chasing your elusive shadow down the dark streets of Fargo. It feels like you're always just out of reach, you're jumping fences and ducking into alleyways, leaving me alone and lost on the sidewalk. Me, feeling like I don't know what to do. It's like sitting down at this untuned piano in my living room and pretending like I know how to play as if I have any idea how these black and white keys are really supposed to be used. All I know is that if you push the right keys in the right order and right combination, something is supposed to happen. Something that makes sense to the ear or the brain or the heart, but I've never been taught or told how to do it. But just like chasing you, Billy, and looking for your killer, at some point you just have to reach out and try something. Just hit one or two keys and see how it sounds. If it sounds bad, try something else. If it sounds good, keep exploring. And maybe that's what it'll take to figure you out and solve your murder. Trial and error. Like hitting keys on a piano until we find a clue or a tune that sounds like it might be something. That's what I keep telling myself, anyway, that sooner or later something, some combination of new clues and keys, will make sense and unlock your riddle. Dear Billy, I suppose I should tell you that your father was arrested for your murder, briefly, anyway, but they dropped all the charges. They said the investigation had turned up information that did not point to him. Your siblings are still alive. I was hoping to speak with them to learn more about you as a kid. I figured every kid and his siblings have stories. Scraped knees and Christmas presents, a first bicycle, a last baby tooth, quarrels, laughs, and tears. But, Billy, as you might understand, as we all understand, it's difficult for your siblings to talk about all of this. Billy, do you remember that song? Of course you do. Moonlight feels right. I've been playing it in my story about you. The lyrics don't really fit a song about a homicide. I mean, come on, the wind blew some luck in my direction? But the song brings us back to a time when you were still alive like the rainy morning of August 15, 1978, when you walked to a payphone to call your mom. Do you remember that? It was the last time your mother 
ever spoke with you. And I don't know if your mom was watching TV that mid-morning, but if she was, maybe she was watching WDAY Channel 6. On that channel, at 9 a.m., a game show named Card Sharks was on the air, and believe it or not, I found the actual show footage from that very morning, from August 15, 1978, when your mother maybe was, maybe wasn't, sitting on the couch watching TV, unaware that when the phone rang, it would be the very last time she would hear your voice. We asked 100 people, which would be harder for you to give up for a week, the telephone or the television? How many said it would be harder to give up television? Television? Oh, I, I think a lot of people uh, would rather give up the telephone than television. Uh, television's more entertaining for most people. I'd say... Uh... Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. During the rest of this episode, I want to tell you about two leads I've looked into from our tip line. Each of these two callers supplied me with a different name, someone they felt was potentially responsible for Billy's death. I know that one of these names is known to law enforcement. The other one may not be known to them. I don't know, of course. I don't have access to Billy's file. For all I know, this will be the first time law enforcement have heard about this guy. And by the way, both of the men we're going to be looking at are now deceased. So, let's get started looking into both of these tips, one at a time. The first person I spoke with asked me not to use his name, so we'll call him Mike. Here's Mike. I will be 73 in just a couple of weeks. My tip is I am 90% sure of who would be responsible for this crime, having been a, uh, not an associate, but a part of the same age group of people uh, somewhat involved in teenage drug trade at the time. There really aren't that many people in the Fargo area in those days capable of committing a crime like that. Just couldn't think of anyone else in this whole area that would do that to a, a person of your age and cut him in half and bag him and put him in the river. This person's name was Bruce. For now, I'm not going to share with you the full name of the person Mike thinks may have killed Billy. We'll just refer to him by his first name, Bruce. This individual, Bruce, is known to law enforcement. Since I got in touch with you, I spoke to a few people probably closer involved than me. Not involved with the crime, but with knowledge of the uh, alleged perpetrators. Uh, I see the investigators determined that there were more than one person involved and that of course fits very well with my theory here and everyone else that I've spoken to 
because this fellow had had a group of what would you call followers that uh, they would uh, commit crimes together, and they were a violent and nasty bunch. But I know I know the authorities are aware of this guy. I was close to him way back when he would have been in ninth grade, about 13 years old, uh, when I first met him. He was from the north side and I was from the south, but somehow we got in touch and I bought two guns from him. There was a large burglary overnight at the Shields Hardware, which wasn't that far from me, and there were like 50 guns stolen, and I wound up buying two of them. I also spent a long time on the phone with the guy that grew up right a couple doors from walked to school with him every day. And uh, even in the years that he became this quote-unquote crime boss with his crew of boys, uh, he was still kind to this other fellow and to me because we had known him in prior days before he escalated into quite such a really terrible person. I asked Mike to explain what he meant. Why was Bruce a terrible person? One story Mike told me was this. Mike once went to a big party in Fargo at the home of a prominent family. Apparently, the parents were out of town and their teenage daughter threw a big bash. They had a big, beautiful home uh, down close to where the dike is uh, now. Uh, on, I don't know, 8th or 9th Avenue South, down close to the Red River beautiful home and the daughter who i wasn't familiar with just the word got around there's a big party so we were all there having fun and socializing and drinking and probably smoking some of that marijuana as mike says word got around and somehow it got around to this guy bruce and his gang or whatever it was and uh, suddenly the door burst open basically here was Bruce with about four or five of his followers, I guess you'd say. Uh, that kind of broke up the party, began beating people, and uh, roughly chased everyone away. But they were just beating people indiscriminately in a very violent manner. I don't recall how many beatings or exactly, you know, how many or injuries or anything. And, but uh, it was definite violent takeover of things. They were just mean, that's all. Following his lead, he had become almost a sociopath or something. Mike recalled that Bruce and his gang, aside from beating people, took everyone's alcohol. I suggested to Mike that this sounded almost like a local, perhaps low-level form of a mafia. I think we called them that on occasion, the mafia. Mike believes that Bruce could be responsible for Billy's death. In fact, he believes Bruce or the people associated with him were responsible for at least two other murders, both of which were made to look like accidents. There was a, a good friend of mine that was killed in a car accident in the Buffalo River returning to Fargo after a weekend in Detroit Lakes. And there was one even better known, a young that they had marched into one of the sand pit, gravel pits, which are very deep and full of water, right about that same time, and they drowned him. And of course, nothing could be proved because it was a drowning, and there's, there's uh, no evidence. 
So why does Mike think these people, possibly including Billy Wolf, were killed? I don't know much, but I think these people that he killed uh, were probably accused or thought to be snitching. And speaking of snitching, or being a police informant, I want to share with you something that Billy's father told the press one month after Billy's murder. The Forum of Fargo-Moorhead interviewed Billy's parents in late September of 1978. At one point in the interview, Billy's father offers some information without being directly asked about it. The reporter was asking about Billy's potential drug use, which by all accounts was fairly minimal and low level. I mean, the guy smoked pot sometimes and occasionally sold small amounts of it. So in this interview with the forum, Billy's father speaks up and says something like, And all these rumors about Billy being some kind of informant? That's a bunch of BS. So at the very least, we know that someone was speculating that Billy might have been a snitch or an informant. And really, that's all we need to know because being accused of being a snitch or an informant was surely just as dangerous as actually being one. Could this be what happened to Billy? Was he an informant or was he believed to be one and then killed by this man Bruce and his crew or mafia or whatever they were? Had law enforcement ever looked into Bruce for Billy's murder? I decided I'd look into Bruce a bit and this is what I found. It's a Monday night in August of 1971, seven years before Billy's murder. Our man Bruce is 20 years old. In the town of Willard, Utah, a full 16-hour drive from Fargo, a woman calls the police and tells them she witnessed something suspicious, screaming and fighting in a car. Police arrive and arrest Bruce and two 18-year-old men on drug charges. In the car, they find marijuana and other drugs. They also find two teenage girls, aged 16 and 17. Both girls are extremely high and possibly overdosing, and they're taken to the hospital. Bruce and his buddies are taken to the county jail. I'm sure a lot of things happened in Bruce's life between 1971 and 1978, but there was one thing I found that's quite interesting. In August of 1976, almost exactly two years before Billy's murder, a 16-year-old girl was raped and murdered in her home in West Fargo. Her name was Polly Johnson. Six months later, another horrific murder took place in West Fargo. Dixie Olson, a mother of three, was killed in her bed. Billy was killed the next year. Three homicides in this little town of West Fargo during a short time. While Billy's murder is yet to be solved, we do know who killed 16-year-old Polly Johnson and Dixie Olson. Dixie Olson's husband, Gary Olson, killed them both. He was first convicted of his wife's murder, and then, while serving his sentence at the North Dakota State Pen, he was charged and then tried for the murder of 16-year-old Polly Johnson. And our man Bruce was associated with Gary Olson. Basically, he tried to help him during his second trial. And here's how. While Gary Olson was in the North Dakota State Pen for the murder of his wife, our man Bruce was also there in prison. We know this because Bruce testified in Gary's second trial, the trial for Polly Johnson. Bruce was basically a witness for Gary Olson, contradicting another inmate's testimony that Gary Olson had confessed to them that he had killed Polly. 
In other words, Bruce testified for Gary's defense. He said Gary never made any such confession about killing Polly Johnson. Could Bruce be responsible for Billy's death? He certainly had been a criminal involved with drugs, and if he was as mean as our tipster Mike suggested, maybe he had killed Billy. There was one problem, though. I knew Bruce had been in the state pen, in prison, in other words, before Billy's murder. But was he still in prison at the time of Billy's murder? Obviously, if Bruce killed Billy himself, he could not have done it from inside the prison. Inmate records for North Dakota from 1978 are not available online. To find those records, a person needs to visit a state archive, or call one and hope for a helping hand. Um, what's his name? Alright, I just have to do some deep diving here and try and find it. Um, so bear with me one second. I can't give you a whole lot of information, but I think you should be able to tell you when he got out. Whoops, and I grabbed the wrong numbers are kind of faded here, so I grabbed the wrong book. Okay, Bruce. Um, date, sentence began, looks like January 30th, 1978. And the inmate number was one, two, three. Let's see, it looks like he was in here for, what was he in here for? Pro board, carrying a concealed weapon. Uh, violation of probation on charges of assault with a sharp weapon or intent to kill. With an intent to kill. But could Bruce have killed Billy Wolf? For that to have been possible, he would have had to have been released from prison at the latest by August 18th, 1978. Looks like he paroled on 9-18-1979. In other words, if Bruce had anything to do with Billy's murder, he wasn't directly involved because he was in prison when Billy was killed. So let's take a look at another tip I received. Maybe Uncle Frank killed Billy. At least, that's what one listener named Robin is wondering. She called our tip line and left the following message. I don't know if this is any relevance or if it was checked out at all, but my ex-husband, his uncle, I don't know, the family had talked that he might have been involved in Billy's murder. Um, if you want to give me a call back to get some more information, you can reach me at 701. Hello? Robin. Yes, hi. Hey, how are you? Good. Sorry about that. My phone wouldn't let me answer it there for some odd reason. I remember um, when the news came out about Billy's murder just because it was such an odd thing to happen in the area. And my husband and I had just gotten home from our honeymoon and we had talked about it. And as time went on, it started to get rumored that through his family that his uncle, um, Frank, somehow might have been involved in Billy's murder. 
at the time, I didn't really think much of it. I just thought maybe it was just some crazy talk or I don't know. As I got listening to your podcast, I thought about some other things that had been said over the years, and I remember that. Robin explained to me that she noticed that an associate of hers would always meet up with Uncle Frank. He would meet Uncle Frank at the High Ten Motel or Hotel out in West Fargo by the fairgrounds, and it was a dumpy, seedy place, and I always thought it was kind of odd that he would meet him there. But I suspect now that he was probably going out and meeting, purchasing drugs. I asked Robin if she knew where this Uncle Frank lived. I'm not sure where he lived at, but he would come into West Fargo, Fargo area to visit. And um, he always stayed out there at the high tent. And why did she think that Uncle Frank might have had something to do with Billy's murder? I just remember Paul's, it would be his half uncle talking about him and Paul talking about, you know, their uncle Frank might have had something to do with it or and I think we all just kind of laughed it away like it was just a rumor. But And then we did hear something that um, this Uncle Frank was supposedly in the Fargo Mafia. And I don't really know if there was a Fargo Mafia in town or not. I guess if you listen to the TV show Fargo, they say they talk about the Fargo Mafia. And it, so maybe there was something to that. I did text my ex-husband and ask him if he knew anything, but he never responded to my text. <laughs> I could always send you his number if you wanted it. Yeah, this is Paul. I have no recollection or remembrance of anything like that. So, if I understand you correctly, you have no recollection of your family speculating about Uncle Frank having possibly been involved in a homicide of Billy Wolf in 1978. Is that right? Uh, no. No, I've never heard that name before. I've never heard that name before, but my Uncle Frank was, uh, how could I put this? I guess I'd call him more of a character. I mean, he was he was kind of out there a little bit, and you didn't know whether to believe him or what to believe, you know, because he was, he was a character. That's all I can, how I can say. Well, do you know if you ever did time or anything like that? I don't remember anything like that, no. Okay. When I was real, real young, I was probably, uh, I don't know, just starting school, first, second, third grade, maybe, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I remember he, my family was living in Wilmer, Minnesota, and uh, all of a sudden I came home from school, and the whole garage was full of tires and batteries and car parts and well, my, when my dad came home and found out about it he called the, the police right away and your uncle and Frank had brought all this stuff down there and was just put it in the garage and I don't know if my dad didn't even oh, he, he asked him I guess he said can I store some stuff in your garage well my dad didn't realize what he was talking about until he got home and saw the dice that was in there and uh, so that would have been in the, in the 60s. Sure. So, but that's, as far as drugs, I don't, I don't know of anything like that. Anyone else in your family that might be able to help me? I... Well, I, I have my, my uncle Rick, which would have been, uh, it would have been Frank's half-brother. Okay. I don't, I have his number in my phone here. I could probably give it to you if. Hello, Mr. 
My name is James Walner. I'm calling from Fargo. I just got off the phone with uh, Paul. He gave me your number. Okay. So um, I'm working on a story, and I was hoping to ask you some questions about your, I believe, half-brother, Frank. I don't know much about him. Uh, I'll tell you what I know, but... Uh, uh, would you mind if I record this for my podcast? Um, no. Excuse me, who are you now? Yeah. Explain yourself to me a little bit. I brought Rick up to speed on who I am and what I'm doing and the story I'm working on. Yeah, the storyline sounds kind of familiar, and uh, but I don't really know any details. That time, uh, in 78, I had just gotten out of the military and was rebelling a little bit from responsibility, and I moved out to Colorado. And so I wasn't actually around Fargo at the time. But, yeah, a few years later, after uh, August of 78, um, maybe like, uh, I'm guessing, maybe like 82 or something. Okay. Um, there was some stories. Um, um, yeah, there. I really don't know that much about my brother, Frank. And excuse me, because you know, I'm feeling or sounding kind of confused. Okay. But uh, uh, Frank was actually my half brother. My father had been married to his mother before mine, and his mother passed away. Uh, Dad had, I believe, his seven kids total with with his first wife. And then when he met my mom, uh, they had six. Yeah, big family. But we were, we were uh, I want to say a familiar family, but not um, real close. Sure. Okay, and Frank was kind of considered the black sheep of the family. I know that um, at the time I kind of idolized him, but I knew a lot of, he told a lot of stories about his mafia connections and shit. Okay. And I thought a lot of it was just stories. You know, because the guy did a lot of drinking and a lot of drugs back then, and and uh, uh, I kind of got the impression that he was just kind of a wannabe tough guy. But uh, you know, as far as anything else about this this story that you're working on, um, I remember hearing rambling on stories uh, from times when I'd been together with Frank and stuff, and and his friends, but. Uh, I really don't know much. I mean, I was just speculated. There was no real talk about it or anything. So you don't you don't remember Frank ever saying anything about it? No, no, sir, don't. No. Long time ago. Right, it's a long time ago, and and uh, um, you know Frank passed away. Okay. And you know it's been a long time since we really discussed much about him in the family. Based on what you knew about him, was he capable of murdering someone? I'm sure talk to the game, but whether or not, you know, I guess I'm, I'm one of the, I was too young and naive back then. And, uh, you know, it, it just sounded like a, you know, a lot of bullshit talk to me. And okay. I just let it in one ear out the other kind of, you know, um, I'm not saying that you get much more information, but, uh, uh, the person that, in our family that was probably the closest to Walter, to Frank, was my older sister, Mary. I think eight years older, seven or eight years older than I am. When she rebelled, she ran to Frank. She 
a lot more interaction with them and a lot more knowledge of them. But whether or not she's going to share it with you, I don't know. As of the time of this recording, Rick's sister Mary has not agreed to speak with me. I, I kind of, well, I certainly hope that you run into a dead end with this, but I can't put anything out of the question, I guess. Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.